2: Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Takiko a food fighter and the director of the new York Japanese Kainai Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every daily supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear Dashi, Rami Nisakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify this program with my cool guests. And my guests today are John Dashback, the director of fantastic new documentary film, Come Back Anytime, and Wataru Yamamoto, the producer of the film. A mutual friend, Yukari Sakamoto, who is an influential food specialist based in Tokyo, introduced me to the new film, Come Back Anytime, or in Japanese, Matai Dashai. It premiered, a DOC NYC, which is the largest documentary festival in America and at the IOC Center last month in November 2021. And I won't give away too much, but this documentary is about the ramen chef in Tokyo and the close-knit community of his regulars. And it sounds simple, but there are a lot to digest in your heart and mind. And I just suggest everyone watch it, especially in the current isolating social situation due to the pandemic. So today we'll discuss why John and Wataru decided to make a documentary about the tiny ramen shop in Tokyo, the profound messages they hope to convey to the audience through the film, how ramen can be instrumental in community building, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitch, and Spotify, whichever you listen to and subscribe to JapanEats, and please write to our review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with John Dashback and Wataru Yamamoto. Hello, John. Hello, Wataru. Welcome to the
3: show. Hello. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Um, it's really great to, to speaking with you.
2: So after watching the film, I'm just speaking to my heroes. So (laughs) let's begin. (laughs) So uh, first of all, uh, to get to know you, where are you from, and what did you eat when you grew up? You may have eaten a lot of ramen, but
4: um... (laughs) should I start? I I, I could start. Um, I first just thank you for that wonderful introduction. We really appreciate uh, that you enjoyed the film, and um, you know we're we're hoping that. that we'll be able to, to share it with a lot more people. Um, so I grew up, uh, in New Hampshire in the U S, um, uh, Hanover, New Hampshire, which is home to Dartmouth college, uh, which is a small town. It's, it's a little bigger now, but it was a very small town when I grew up and and, um, I ate, I guess, what you'd call pretty typical kind of middle class American food of the of the '70s and '80s, um, uh, but but with a healthy uh, perspective because my, my parents were, were very health conscious, and uh, so it was it was a lot of um, roasts and and stews and and casseroles and and you know, roast chickens and and um, and those kinds of things and spaghetti night and taco night, you know, which is all kind of a lot of Americans, I think. Uh, my generation probably shared those kinds of things, but but uh, with with real food mostly, and not a lot of sugar, and uh, so it was a pretty pretty healthy diet that I grew up on.
2: Mm-hmm. That was ahead of time, I think.
4: I th- yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think my mom was turned on to some progressive. Uh, you know, I mean, she uh, she wasn't obsessive about it, but she was just very kind of health conscious. My father uh, got really into uh, tending his own garden. Uh, which sort of resonated for me in the film, which maybe we'll
3: talk about later. But.
2: Mm. What about you, Wataru?
3: Yeah, uh, I'm from uh, Kanagawa, uh, next to Tokyo, and uh, I grew up in a suburb. It's like uh, New Jersey, sort of, uh, I would say. And then um, my mom was a homemaker, so, you know, she cooks almost every meal, and um, we have, you know, uh, I had... Um, basic like typical japanese cuisine most of the time so going to kfc or uh, mcdonald's was a fun going out activity i guess but um you know i both enjoyed um fish sashimi and steak meat yakiniku whatever food offered i i didn't have like um you know like i was not a picky eater so i was uh, happy just to be served and uh also, uh, I've been—I uh, really loved ramen uh, all my life, so I'm <laughs> c- kind of really happy to be in a po- the producer of this movie.
2: Mm, maybe that was a destiny.
3: Yeah, I didn't realize <laughs> that, but maybe that is. <laughs> right,
2: and uh, so uh, let's get to know you even more. So, tell us about your background. So, how did you get into the film industry?
4: Um Well I uh, I went I got into film through working in the industry uh, on, the, on the production side um, from a pretty young age and during summer breaks during college, I just always wanted to find a movie set to be on. Uh, and then I did a little of that um, before I decided to go to film school uh, in in New York at Columbia. So I, I studied there, mostly screenwriting but also, Editing, uh, I really fell in love with editing there, and I had a great editing teacher there. Who, who uh, you know, everybody has those those teachers that they remember forever, and mine was definitely um, that experience in Columbia. So that's how I got into it, and um, kind of <clears throat> straddled both worlds of producing, uh, working on other people's films, and uh, and making my own um, when I could find the time and the and the money. <laughs> so mm. that's sort of my my history of getting into it.
2: It's like a film is your whole life in a way.
4: Yeah, I mean it has been. I I, I uh I've found other ways sometimes to to support myself, but they're usually related to film or, or media, uh, you know, consulting or, or or um you know advertising and that kind of thing. So um, I when I make films I try to be as independent as possible uh in, in doing them. And this one was was completely independent which was really fun it was just uh my japanese company uh you know we just financed it as we went um and we kept costs very low because it was basically a two-person crew the two of us
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, right oh that's awesome and i have to say it's very successful so yeah and uh, what about you
3: yeah uh so i started as a editor of a lifestyle magazine after graduating in college and then i uh i worked there for four or five years and then i moved to new york and worked as a uh editor and writer of a u.s based uh publication it's for uh, uh japanese i mean japanese living in u.s um so it's written in um in japanese but uh i get to i got to interview like some you know um broadway uh stars or uh, like restaurant chefs and uh, that was a really fun memory and then after um returning to J- japan tokyo um i i worked as a freelancer on both um um editor writer for uh, online or magazine or newspapers and then uh, i did a little bit of translation interpretation and uh to be uh this is actually my first sort of like a film project that uh, i participated in because i i am a co-founder uh co president of the the company that john created in japan and um um i kind of um uh we haven't we we've been doing uh on our own stuff up till this ramen movie. Um so it was a first uh not only it was a first movie project for me, but uh, also the the first collaboration with John. Mm. i kind right. of roped him into it <laughs> <laughs> yeah
4: i had right. no choice actually <laughs> <laughs> i said, okay. i need you i can't do this on my own because <laughs> right, my japanese is not good enough so <laughs> well,
2: well that's another question you know like uh what you didn't say in my question or your answer to my question or your background is that what when and how like why did you go to japan and uh, how did you meet what
4: Yeah, we met. I mean, through uh, in the the New York years, and then um, we had a lot of uh, mutual friends there. You know, some of whom were Japanese who I got to meet through Otaro, and uh, and they all kind of said, you know, you really, they they just felt like there was something about me or my personality that would that would really click with Japan. So uh, so I decided to uh, to give it a try, and I I thought I'd just go on a kind of a three month tourist visa. And uh, and see what I could what I could figure out, uh, and I was sort of doing some freelance consulting. I was able to kind of do it from anywhere, um, and I did that a little bit of that back and forth until I realized I, I really should get a proper visa, and so so that led to the company uh, that I set up to to kind of uh, create an investor business manager visa that allowed me to stay there and work full time. And I I, uh, I just I I fell in love with Japan, and I uh, you know have been there for. I mean, it was on and off for a while, but it's almost now 10 years full time. So, mm. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's embarrassing how, how, how poor my Japanese still is, but I, I can understand it a lot better than I can speak it. Um, so I, I kind of half knew what was going on as we were filming enough to, enough to be, be aware of, uh, kind of where to point the camera, <laughs> but, um, but it really, uh, I really would, wata- uh, relied on what I was, uh, you know a lot of his translations after the fact to to really kind of dig into mm. uh what we had and actually he he conducted uh um uh, while I was shooting it um he was he was conducting the interviews that we had kind of prepared to gather the questions but he was conducting them uh mm. you know in japanese so it was it was really collaboration in that sense.
3: Yeah. So, uh, he gave me, uh, you know, like the notes beforehand, before the interview, like what he wanted me to ask, but, uh, he let me, um, you know, have my own questions as well. And then, uh, being a journalist, uh, writer can help me, uh, was able to help, uh, definitely during those interviews, uh, during, uh, for the film, but, um, um, one thing is interesting it was like i'm so used to you know interviewing for the um magazine or um uh, newspaper so i got to be really vocal during the interview like when i'm listening i said that, oh that's interesting and ha 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 and then john has to tell me like you have to be quiet you know? <laughs> like you, you don't overreact and, and it was so hard for me to do that um but um uh in the end, I managed to do that, right? John?
4: Yeah, no, he learned it very quickly. But it was, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something that you have to learn, uh, just for the sake of the editing, obviously. You know, you know, but but his voice also appears at certain, you know, of important and kind of sometimes funny moments uh, where he will, he did ask follow-up questions, and I thought it was important, you know, to hear somebody asking. So so, oh. so you, do, you do get to hear his voice.
2: Well, I have to rewatch <laughs> it to listen to his voice. That's great. Right. Um, and then what is the theme of the film, Come Back Anytime, or Mataira Shai in Japanese?
4: You know, it's, it's uh, I, I would say it's always hard for me, <laughs> believe it or not, to, to characterize the theme. Um, I have an intuitive sense of it, but I think the best way to put it was it's, it's really about food and community. And the intersection of food and community, and how food can can bring people together and and create a community. I think that's what I what I saw about this place, and that's what what motivated me to want to to uh, capture it and profile it. Was I just felt like there was this very unique uh, community of people who had who had. Uh, evolved around this uh, this very charismatic ramen master and this this very cozy wonderful place and this delicious food. So it's 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 about you know, food and and community. That's, mm. that's what I would say.
2: Right. So for listeners who have not seen the film, so who is a uh, master Masamoto Ueda, the main main character of
4: the film? <clears throat> He's a uh, a self taught ramen master who's been running his own a uh, small ramen shop for over 40 years in Tokyo. Um, it used to be a little bit bigger, uh, and then he had to move. Um, uh, he lost the, the lease to, to his first place and had to move, and he talks about that a little bit in the film, but, but he's been at his current place for for. Many years now, and it's a it's a tiny little place with with kind of six seats in, on the in the first floor and and a couple tables upstairs. Um, and he has this very loyal following of of people who some of whom have been coming for for almost the, the, those forty years. Um, and so. He isn't, uh, you know, sort of chasing any any uh, Michelin stars, and he's and he's a very very laid back uh, guy. But um, but he actually has created this incredible, delicious uh, soup that people have come to to uh, kind of almost depend on <laughs> for for uh, a lack of a better word. That that uh, that, that and, and he's play, and he's created this place of community that that people gather at. Um, he's very just charismatic and friendly and witty and he's a listener a great listener he's sometimes he's a matchmaker maker he's kind of a, a connector of people and um, he really has become good friends with with many of his his customers so it's just a very uh unique place and he's a very unique guy and and uh i hope the movie gives people a, a sense of of him and who he is
2: mm.
3: Yeah, he's a, a really um, a people person, I would say. So everybody can fall, you know, easily fall in, in love with him. And um, I'm sure, Akiko, you you will be in love with him uh, uh, as soon as you you meet him. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's just like a really laid back. He's a really laid back, um, wholesome really warm person that um you want to go back to visit uh right after you um um leave the restaurant
2: mm, right so i um, yes yeah, well, i definitely Vicente <laughs> is my list for my next visit Good. in tokyo Good. um yeah but he's um you know it's he sounds like he's really like a god like good person, but his past was not perfect, but he's refreshingly so simple and it's just so charming. And it's just amazing that how you guys captured him. So, uh, by the way, um, what kind of ramen does he serve?
4: Right. Uh, So actually, Richard, do you want to take that one? You'll probably do a better job. Yeah, so
3: he started as a, uh, just one ramen, uh, uh, when he started opening in the late seventies, it was just a uh, soy based, uh, ramen, soy ramen. And then, um, um, that kind of evolved, um, because of, uh, his regular demand, he, uh, added miso and shio based, uh, ramen as well. And then, uh, during the summer, um, he served, uh, called yashituka-ish, called, um, cold, um ramen as well and then also um yeah and then uh, he has um yakigyoza and sui um fried uh, dumpling and uh dumpling with soup that's the basic menu of bizante and that's yeah it's, it's it's almost it right i mean it's yeah uh... <laughs> so it's really limited in a way and um yeah so uh, people who love to visit ramen um the signature i would say is the uh, shoyu ramen because uh you know that's the uh, the one he you know he's been serving from the the day one of um his uh restaurant place and, um and you know
4: what i would add is um uh the chashu too is 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 kind of a big part of his his signature um dish i mean it's it's in it's a topping for uh, everything he serves but then he has one that's just chashu ramen and it's extra chashu and I, I think there for some people it's it's um myself included it's one of the the things that that people crave the most because it's a
3: very it's a unique chashu yeah that's true and then um uh, back to the soy uh, ramen um uh, soy sauce ramen um it's for for Japanese for us uh, for most of us it's kind of remind me of the old old days like simple sho- soy soy sauce ramen is the uh, uh, most uh nostalgic uh ramen for us um not on like in Kyushu the tonkotsu is uh, big and uh in Hokkaido, you know, miso is, and shio are also very big, but for most of the Jap, Japanese, um, soy ramen is a, s- sort of the, like, you know, nostalgic uh, old time ramen, and vizente represent that. So the, um, I prefer, uh, I mean, for my last dying um, day, or, uh, day, I would love to have um, soy ramen. Uh, Presented soy, soy ramen, soy ramen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs>
2: That's a big statement. Wow.
3: Um,
2: yeah, and no, there's so many scenes that, you know, customers, where the customers just their eyes then they just shut up and just focus on the flavors. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, and no, but for listeners when you familiar with the chash, chashu is like, a, you know, roasted pork on top of ramen mm. and it's kind of a test of ramen chef's skills, right? To prepare the perfect book, because usually it can be a little, like a stinky dryer, but, uh, Bizente's Toshu's looks like, like a fine dining, really carefully prepared topping. Uh, it, the
4: yeah. It's, it's very unique. And he, in the film, he goes into some detail about, about uh, he and others, uh, you know, in you know, sort of characterizing it. But, but what he says is he didn't, he didn't like the typical, Chashu, so he had to find a chashu that he could eat himself. Because he, <laughs> another thing, just on the side is that uh, he and his wife, uh, who who comes to help with the the lunch rush, um, they eat it every day uh, they, they, and they have for 40 years, that's their lunch. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, so he said, I I gotta have something that I can, I can eat. I mean, or or he can love, you know, so, so he, he kind of experimented and he, he said his inspiration was actually his wife's, uh, kakuni pork. So the pork belly, um, that's, that's very fatty and it's simmered for a very long time. I mean, you, you know, uh, you could probably, Describe that that dish better than I can, but but the the gist is is um, it's that's inspired by that, but it's actually a a, a pork back uh, rib, uh, which is not the typical cut of meat for for a lot of uh chashu either. So it's a so it's a unique style of meat, um, and and it's cooked uh, in the soup and then in in the the, uh, the later in 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 soy, um, and then the soy becomes the tare uh, for the soy based ramen. So it's 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 infused with a lot of that uh, pork meat flavor and fat. Um, so the two are kind of. Uh, kind of influencing each other and it, and, it, and it kind of goes in a circle in a way, uh, taste-wise. So so that's one of the really great things about it too. Right.
2: Yeah, it's like definitely, it's, it's not just the community and the chef, it's all about food as well. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, by the way, the Kazuko, um, the chef uh, Masamoto Weira's wife, she mm-hmm. is a great character too. So I was really fascinated, especially later in the film, she was featured also. And it's such a fascinating couple. As well, and how they work together, how to take care of each other, and another part of the big, big part of the film was that existence of a supportive wife Kazuko.
4: Yeah, it was. It was important to me that we that we really include that, you know. And we shot way more footage than we could use, and occasionally we thought you know, there's a really sort of a chapter on her, but, but uh, we thought, well, you know, you could take it out and it it wouldn't be missed per se, but, um, but we really felt like uh, it, it, Needed to be there just to, just to tell the what we knew was the was the full story because really um, they're a team and 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 his his success that he's had with this place is, is is fundamentally dependent on on that partnership that they've that they've had over the years and and uh, you know she is is there every day with him serving the busy lunch and then she's, you know, also a homemaker and, and raising three children and, and, uh, you know, so it was important, but, but, but then what I found most interesting about, uh, when we did sit down and talk to her was she, she has a pretty serious hobby of, of painting. Um, and, uh, and she got into that pretty late in life cause she realized that she, she needed, uh, you know, she wanted to have something that was just her own and, and, and not sort of tied to him in that place. And, um, I mean, we haven't gotten into this, but, but a lot of the film is also about what he does on the weekends, um, with, with his customers and goes out and he, he just can't sit still. So he's out, um, kind of traipsing around the countryside, digging up, uh, interesting wild foods. And, and, uh, and so she used to, join him on that. But I think at a certain point, she, uh, she, she kind of decided she wanted to have her own thing. So she picked up painting and she's actually an amazing painter. Um, mm. so we, so that became a, a, a kind of a revelation that we discovered as, as the film progressed that that we wanted to uh, cover. And she had a little, a small exhibition. So we, we got to, to film there and show that, that part of her.
2: Mm, right. By the way, that how, you know, I, I know that you knew the ramen shop, small ramen shop in Tokyo, but how did you come mm. up with the idea of making the film about the ramen chef and the tiny ramen shop?
4: You know, it's, it wasn't, it was really this place. You know, it wasn't, uh, I didn't say I want to make a, a movie about a ramen shop. Let me go find one. Um, it was this, it was, I found myself in this place. So, so Wataru's, uh, good friend, uh, works in the neighborhood and was a regular there. And he one weekend uh, or one, one week just said, hey, uh, we're going to go wild mountain uh, uh, yam foraging uh this weekend with the ramen master of my my favorite local ramen place or the ramen place near his office uh, where he goes for lunch he said you would you be interested in coming i said <laughs> absolutely you know, that, what is i don't know what that is but it sounds really interesting so 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 that's how it started actually and i that was about I don't know, eight years ago and and um i was they were just very welcoming uh to me and and he and his gang uh, we went up to the mountains and we 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 did it again. And the film but um but the first time we went uh you know we all went and, and kind of camped out in this in this field uh, uh near a near a charcoal uh, making hut that was also very fascinating um and and uh so it was through that context that i was invited to come meet the master and that's when i first had the the ramen um so wataru uh and and his friend and i uh um or i'm I'm really you know have to thank Wotaro and his friend for introducing me to this place and then i just i wouldn't say I was a regular but i i i kept going there and I was there at some some moments when I felt like it was i was getting a real sense of what what a unique place this was um there was a there was a year end party um right before he closed for about ten days over the over the holidays and there was a professional violist is one of the one of the regulars, and she appeared uh, late that night, the last night, and it was really crowded. Everybody was there to get their last bit of of, of their favorite ramen before he closed for a little bit, and uh, and it was just a very jolly uh, and joyous atmosphere, and everybody convinced her to serenade them on her viola, and it just uh, it it really moved me, and and I I just thought I had been wanting to to do something in Japan and make a film. Um, I wasn't really ready to make a fiction film. Previously I'd made fiction films, but I, 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 and I think it just hit me, um, that night I was like, okay, this is this place, this place is really unique. He's really unique. Um, could I possibly capture that and convey it to an audience? So that was really always the, that was the goal. It was just like, uh, help. How, you know can I let people experience this place vicariously through the film and that was that was the aim um, mm. and that's what well, it became well
2: that actually reminds me of you know the Netflix uh, Midnight Diner in Japanese Shinya Shokudo mm-hmm.
4: love that, that show like,
2: uh, yeah it's just like, almost every it. part of it especially that uh, the year end part. there's an episode right how people gather and then every year they did that kind of very
4: close right, community right. oh yeah
3: Right. Yeah, it's really close. And uh, by the way, uh, my friend who introduced us to Byzantine, he's in the movie. Mm. Um, he's a guy who didn't like, uh, who doesn't like uh, negi scallion, and uh, that's uh, so that uh, he can have his uh, salt-based ramen because his uh, he features negi there. So uh, <laughs> you will I did, you will know who who my my right. my friend is in the movie. And he's there. He goes. He goes. Uh, so we went um,
4: digging up uh, bamboo shoots, and he was the, kind of the student uh, of some of these uh, these uh, countryside excursions. He was there learning how to dig up bamboo shoots and and um, and learning how to dig up the wild mountain yams. And and so there is this sense also, I think, where the master is. He wants to teach the younger generation some of these these these. Uh, Somewhat old-fashioned country uh, countryside uh, activities that that he grew up doing, um, but the, but that he wants his kind of city-dwelling customers to be able to experience as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's he uh, he's in quite a bit of the film, actually.
2: Right. Well, um, he is a very big, bright personality, but he doesn't seem to enjoy huge attention on the big screen. So, how did you convince him to star in the film? <laughs>
4: I mean, it's interesting i was uh um, that you would say that uh, what what I'm, I'm curious just what makes you um you know what 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 gave you that impression that he that he didn't uh didn't like the attention is uh. that just the, the sense you got watching it
2: I think he is more into um, paying attention to what he has and he's not mm. ambitious to expand or like, you know, like you said, he's not shooting for the right. stars, like Michelin yeah. star restaurant or anything like that.
4: Right. <laughs> he is not somebody who would have sought out, you know, somebody to, hey, somebody should make a movie about me. Um, on the contrary. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, I mean, he, I think he enjoyed the, the, the process of, of us being around filming. Um, and he's, you know, he he's... He's not camera shy. although it was interesting because if we ever tried to ask him to do something um, or repeat something it, it's, he suddenly became very self conscious so so he was able he was able to be completely natural if he was doing his thing that he's been doing for 40 years but if i ever wanted to get a different angle i said oh could you just do that from the opposite side or the opposite hand he
3: just he just couldn't
4: do it you know um, yeah he, uh, he suddenly he just,
3: became like a ro- ro- robot and yeah, then, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah just would, that was really weird but he would um, just freeze up.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But he but he um you know it, it actually we were nervous, you know, so after that that um that moment that I had, it was kind of a New Year's resolution, I guess. And so we were right back there by the time he reopened on like January fourth that next you know, year. Um we we were there the first day and we kinda of waited until it got slow and, and and we were very nervous and we we, we Approach the subject. We were ready to have him just go, oh, I don't think so. And then we were, you know, okay, what are we going to, how are we going to convince him was, was, would have been the next step. But he just said, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, and That was that easy. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's not all films are <laughs> getting access is not always that easy, but, but I think it was also because we already, knew him pretty well we had been to his he has these pizza parties for his regulars at his at his uh, country garden um he goes fishing we had been fishing with him so i think i think there was a certain amount of trust that that we were going to do something interesting and, and and also not sort of you know make him look like a fool or anything and and um and so yeah he got he got into it pretty quickly,
3: yeah and, I think uh he was really happy that uh we said uh not only uh in the inside of the ram restaurant but uh we we tell we told him that we want to uh go follow his uh, outdoor activity, so he was just so happy that oh like you know younger guys are coming uh, following me all all year round that's great i think that was uh, his sort of like uh, big reason to say yes, and uh, also I remember that uh, I told him that uh, even though John wants to make a film of this place and you, uh, he doesn't know what the results gonna gonna be like. And then uh, I I think that time he, his answer was oh man oh, well, that that doesn't matter. At least uh, he can he can come up with something that I can you know uh, play. At my funeral, right, and then that was like a um, big joke and big release for us. So um, uh, yeah, it was much uh, easier than we thought, and then we were really uh, happy and uh, 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 and then we absolutely happy about that. <laughs> it lowered, it definitely lowered the, the the
4: stakes for us. You know, <laughs> it like, well, remember it just has to be good enough for my funeral. You yeah. uh, know, but uh, but. But yeah, we at, the, at first we really didn't know how, you know what it was going to be, and that's partly my experience as my first documentary. But I it was a kind of willful, uh, um, you know, as a choice to to just just capture as much as we could. And I guess maybe because because I, I I was kind of trying to capture a feeling, and I thought, well, I just have to be there as as uh, enough you know a uh, long enough time that that enough happens that and we, and we have to talk to enough people. Um so we did a lot of interviews with the regulars um, and 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 but we did say like can you give us a year uh, you know not that he was contractually obliged to 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 let us stick around but you know if he could commit you know in theory to that to letting us just so we understood the scale of what we were we were thinking because we really wanted to capture uh, as much of the place as we could and 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 at different times of year as well and that became an important part because a lot of what he does on the weekends is, is seasonal, really just seasonal foods and, and uh, seasonal activities. So, mm-hmm. so we knew we knew we were going to need a, a good amount of time. And he and then by the end of it, he said, "I'm uh, you know I'm lonely when you go." You know, <laughs> he said, why don't you guys come out with me again? And, and we said, "Well, because now we have to edit the film."
3: Yeah, he has been saying uh, lately, like you you guys have abandoned me. <laughs> <Right>.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. Because uh, you might just see hopefully. hopefully. Um, but uh, you know that the way he accepted the offer of the film, I really think is as as he is. He is open and he navigates his uh, life very well because he has many challenges, which is depicted in the film too. Mm. But he just acts before he thinks too much and move on and find a way to just navigate and very inspiring to me you know we tend to think too much but he's like all right why not and just move on so
4: absolutely likewise and i i i learned a lot from him by 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 watching that you know that he just he he he'll try anything i mean he's you know there's so much that we couldn't fit in the film but he's he's he had a baseball team you know on the weekends for a while and he and he ran a marathon and and uh you know he's just somebody who wants to try anything so i think that's a big part of why he said yes so quickly he's like oh wow i'll be in a movie sure you know but but like you said he, he wasn't seeking um you know some kind of validation for for his culinary skills um you know, because I think he already is is very uh, comfortable and confident in in where he's at in his life and his career that he doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. Um, so it was more just I think he thought and like what Tara said I think he thought it'd be fun just to to, to have uh, an excuse to to go do all these things. So I think that year. Was a very active year for him because he kept saying, "Well, how about this? Well, you you want to go do this? You want to go do this? Let's let's go pick carrots and feed them to horses. That's what, something I always do, uh, you know, in September or whatever. You know, it was just uh, he was he was always ready to to. And so we just said yes to everything. Yeah. And we, ended, we ended up with a lot more footage than we could use, so we're trying to work that into some some bonus uh, so, some bonus
3: uh, scenes actually. So. yeah he made my uh job uh really easy as a as a producer because um he arranged everything for <laughs> us nice. like yeah. oh i called this guy and that uh for this uh e- excursion so uh you don't have to worry about that and um <laughs> he was quick and um yeah articulate and um so maybe we should have uh, credited him as a a coal producer. Yeah, it
4: was a yeah, Transportation
3: Ooh. coordinator too. He was always like, "Okay, here's
4: who's driving. You're going to be in this car. You're going to be." You know, but, but he was always doing that, anyways, when they yeah. would go on these expeditions, you know, these excursions. So, mm. but he did make it easy for us.
2: Interesting. So it's a collaboration, totally.
4: Definitely, it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I mean, it, right. it was.
2: Okay, uh, so we'll take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll discuss the messages John and Walter wanted to communicate through the film. So please stay with us.
1: with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats.
2: I'm your host, Kotema, and my guests today are John Dashback. The director of fantastic new documentary film "Come Back Anytime" or Mata in Japanese, and also Wataru Imamoto, the producer of the film. So, uh, so what are some of the biggest messages that you wanted to convey to the audience through the film?
4: Um, I would say. I mean I touched on this earlier but it was it was um I I sensed that there was something unique about this place and it was it was something that I admired um and I, and so for me it was as much of a process of, of of discovering that you know as as uh as as telling it you know it was it was finding figuring out what it what it was that attracted me to it and I think what it what I discovered was was that um that this community existed because of this combination of of his his personality and the the openness of the of the customers to to engage with him in a in a in a kind of a community building a community together. Um, so, I think you know the, the 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 message is is also I mean we touched on it a little bit because I think the pandemic influence this a little bit because I was editing kind of in the midst of the of the the, the most uncertain time which was sort of mid 2020 and um, I think I think that if there's a message it's it's uh, uh, appreciate these kinds of communities. You know when you can and and cherish them and 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 try to keep them uh, together because because the, the pandemic certainly came along and disrupted a lot of communities like this and this one as well although it's it's you know it's bounced back but but um, I think I think it's uh, it's when you have something special like this. Uh, appreciate it and cherish it and um and if you don't maybe go find it because uh because this is a you know such an important aspect of life is is having a community
3: to to sh- to share it with yeah and uh let me add uh that uh, as japanese uh i kind of So that uh, he is a good example of, you know, um, he's not a typical Japanese, like the um, outside of Japan thing, like us being, you know, always serious and uh, uh, so on. And um, also because of the uh, jiro of sushi or ramen head, you know, uh, Japanese chefs are usually portrayed as like, you know, uh, serious uh, uh, chef uh, always thinking about their food and uh, their dishes and creation and um, o- even over the weekend they go out to study and to capture the- uh, to get some inspiration stuff like that but not all the chefs are like that you know like uh, they have their outside of life of re- their restaurant and then um san is uh, uh, a good, good 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 example of this so I wanted to convey that message uh, or oh, I, I that, that was my hope
4: mm-hmm. right.
3: yeah yeah I mean I
4: would just add that that um, you know I I did s- sort of see this as a as a film for a foreign audience uh that was partly my i think my message was here's a here's a glimpse of what what i've experienced as a foreigner in japan um, which might not be what you're getting through through typical uh media um depictions of japan um although you know like the shinya Shokudo, the midnight diner um is a is a is a great Fictionalized version of, of of the kind of cozy izakaya life, um, so so it certainly represents that. But but it's not all, all just you know, anime and, and sushi and, and like Morita said, kind of um, obsessive, super hyper serious chefs. That there's a lot of a lot of fun, uh, laid back uh, experiences as, well, as well. And I, I I think as a foreigner, I wanted to express that as well to to foreign audiences.
2: You guys are very successful in (laughs) all those communicating the messages because I really felt that, you know, the chef as well as the regulars are really taking care of each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And interviewees, uh, regulars, interviewees are really so grateful to what the master did to them. And I was so envious. I really wish I could live there, like right next to the place, and I can go there every night. So,
4: yeah, some of them do. Yeah. So, some of the, yeah. And they're, they're, they are featured in the film. And I'm, I'm a little jealous of them too, because it takes me like a half an hour to get there. So, I would, I would, you know, definitely be there more frequently. Although that's not, that's not too bad. But, um, But yeah, the the ones who live just around the corner, they're there almost every night. It's their local, you know, it's their local hangout. And sometimes, even if uh, he'll say, "Oh, the noodles are all gone," then so they'll just stay and have a maybe just have a drink and and uh, and a a snack of uh, some wakame seaweed or or um, some pickles or 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 an egg, Uh, you know, just some of his little um, sumami side you know dishes. Um, And uh, it's not only even only about the ramen, particularly at night. I mean, that was another aspect uh, of this place that I found so unique is that it's, it's really like a ramen izakaya. Um, it's not the only one. There certainly are other places like that, but, but it was kind of unique in that way uh, that it had evolved into this, this place that is as much a, uh, you know, a bar, a local, a local bar as it is uh, a ramen shop. So mm. that, that also became uh, really interesting to me.
2: So what was the biggest challenge in making the film?
4: Um I'd say for me it was keeping up with with him. I mean, <laughs> even though he's you know, i I'm twenty years younger than him almost. Um but uh you know he he's so active and he has so much energy that um uh, that was that was just on a, on a practical, from a practical point of view, that was that was one of the challenges for me because I was filming it myself. It was also the first time I attempted to to be you know my own cinematographer, and that was really out of necessity um, rather than um, just because I thought I could do a particularly good job at it. I just realized that I I had to do as good a job <laughs> as I as I could because um, it's such a small place. So that I guess would be another an aspect of what was, was really challenging was, was fitting. I'm six, three, and I'm not, I'm not a small guy. And so, so this is a pretty tiny space. And so just fitting in there and not breaking anything um, was, was also a a big concern. But, um, but creatively I think it was, it was finding the structure and the, the way to tell the story, given that I, had just kind of just shot anything and everything I could for a year. It was really that I suddenly sat down. It really took me a while and I kind of kind of avoided it for a while uh, just because I, I wasn't really sure how, how do you, okay, how do you take all that and put it into a format that, that an audience can sit in a movie theater and and feel like they've had a kind of a cohesive experience that has a beginning, middle and end and and all that. So that, that
3: was the other, I would say, biggest challenge for me. What about
2: you with the,
3: um yeah so I was really worried that uh he would b- break something at the <laughs> restaurant because uh, you know he went into inside of the kitchen and you know it was really um narrow and uh, so uh it was I was so nervous like oh what if he he he, he knocked over some precious his soy soy So itare or misotare, and then uh, uh, luckily it didn't happen. So I was really relieved. But uh, actually, uh, when I visited, when we visited him, um, a couple of months ago, I actually knocked over his precious miso yeah, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> He was really he was like, so relaxed about you know, it. Though. Like, yeah. oh, it happened. It happened, right? And then he was so casual and um, uh, about So I was really relieved. But uh, anyway, uh, that was my big concern <laughs> uh, during this shoot. And um, y- yeah.
2: Mm, right and also what was the most rewarding part of making the film
3: i i think it was
4: uh for me it was getting to know him like i said you know um and and, and even more than than i because i i knew i felt like i knew enough about him that i wanted to make a film about him but but um but what i discovered was was you know that he's he's even more interesting and and, and, and complex than that I knew and, and, and just so open, um, which is, you know, not always easy to find particularly among, um, you know, some Japanese people, he was, he was such an open book and he was willing to, he had no qualms about talking about, you know, we alluded to his, his, uh, um, you know, he got into some trouble as a, as a, as a wayward youth, you know, and this was, you know, in some ways kind of his saving grace was finding this passion and, and, and the focus of, of running this restaurant. He was, he was definitely aimless for a while. Um, but so I, I think, you know, getting, just getting to know him to the degree that, that we did by focusing on him and, and just, just learning so much from him. Um, and I, I think also just, getting to know the regulars pretty well as well because we spent so much time there and and we really you know in, enjoy being able to hang out with them and and you know also what we spent time in cars you know traveling and, and and camping with some of them and and just getting to know that whole gang of people it's just a really nice bunch of of people who are fun to, to hang out with and who are funny and and um and generous and um I guess also all the food we got to eat. <laughs> that would mm. that would be the other uh, the other big reward was we just, you know, we're, he was constantly feeding me, um, uh, both of us really with with all the treats that that we were uh, foraging or making or or,
3: or finding. Or right. What
2: about uh, you? What anything to add?
3: Yeah, I, I know I should say something different but uh I have to say the same thing with John like um it's uh you know the friendship uh we had with uh with the master and uh, his regular uh just something precious like um I I, I will treasure the rest of my my life.
2: Mm, right and then you know you guys are a duo of American and Japanese. So how did the different cultural perspectives contribute to making such a great film?
4: Hmm. I would I would say for me uh, I think I really relied well I relied on a practical level on on, on you know Wataru's um, interpretation you know skills and 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 his ability to help me understand you know better than i could myself what was what was going on <laughs> in front of me um but uh but also i guess in terms of you know cultural perspectives um i think it was uh, i was fortunate to have his guidance in terms of um you know what was okay to do and what was was is it okay to ask this and you know when we were making that list of questions you know are we going we don't want to offend anybody um, you know, is you know, it was particularly him. So, so I think to to give to have somebody who's kind of a who was a touchstone for 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 cultural cultural boundaries and guidance in terms of me not just being a bull in a china shop uh, as as a filmmaker um, was one of the great things. And then and then we actually we did the subtitles ourselves. So so I mean, Wataro did most of them, and then I kind of just said, you know, I think in English maybe you could say it like this. Um, as a native English speaker, but but that collaboration was actually really uh, was really fun and 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 rewarding and uh, but also challenging. Mm,
2: right. So you didn't miss anything and nothing lost in translation.
4: <laughs> I hope not. You know, it's funny because I was working with transcripts, and there were times where I misunderstood the transcript, and I, I was you know a little too confident in my in my own Japanese, and and there were times where I thought I knew what what it was and then i you know i would i included it and i thought i was trying to sort of convey something that would be like that's oh, not really what they're saying you know so so there was a lot of arounds of that too so he was very very uh, crucial in the in the editing phase too of, of kind of fine-tuning it and making sure that it was it was conveying and saying what i thought it was you know or, mm. or meant it to be
3: Oh, thank you for the acknowledgement, John. Um, <laughs> because uh, how how many hours did you shoot? Well, I mean, it wasn't all translated,
4: but but we shot something like eighty hours. I mean, it was just you know it's crazy, you know, for eighty one minute film, uh, which is which is not you know I guess it's not uncommon for documentaries to have a, a very large uh, shooting ratio of footage to to what you use. But um, we did we shot well you know um, probably twenty interviews with regulars that were each an hour long and uh and um it was a lot a lot of transcription he did it he made the the upstairs of bizente his office for a period of months there he would just sit wow. up there sit up there transcribing and then feed them over to me in the editing room
3: <laughs> so we have a lot of footage that we 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 didn't inc- we we are not able to include it in this movie and so whoever interested in this movie and want a sequel or uh, extended version just reach us because we can make it happen. And, uh, <laughs> um, also, I want to add that uh, this movie is uh, John's. Uh, he's it's made through his own eyes, so I don't think this movie can make. Uh, made from I would say any Japanese um, directors and then uh, my role was just to make it happen and just be you know uh, helpful as as much as I could and I'm kind of happy that I was able to provide what he needed that's Mm. all for sure
2: okay and then you presented the film at uh, the DOC NYC which is the largest documentary festival in America and also at the IOC Center in November, along with other many other places, I heard. So, how did the audience react at each viewing uh, event? Uh,
4: yeah, it's interesting because uh, because of the pandemic. So, we actually premiered the film last April at uh, at at Hot Docs uh, in Canada, which is which is uh, North America's largest uh, um, documentary film festival. And but we didn't get to experience it with an audience because uh they were on lockdown there so the whole thing was virtual so we were just kind of experiencing it vicariously from tokyo um and and we kind of encouraged people to sign up to our mailing list and so we would see we kind of kind of got a sense that okay somebody must have watched it because they just signed up but 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 it wasn't until uh doc nyc uh at the isc center that's their one of their venues they showed it you know, uh, two screenings we did, we did there that we, that we actually saw it with an audience for the first time It showed in, in Melbourne in Australia in August, but that was also during a lockdown. Um, and you know, that was, this was actually the first time either of us were able to travel outside of Japan since the beginning of the pandemic, this just this November. So, um, for, I think for both of us, um, you know, it was uh, a really, uh, a unique experience just suddenly to, to see it in a room full of people um because we we really never had and even though it had shown in quite a few festivals already so so we were really uh, grateful first of all to doc nyc for for choosing it and, and including it in their their lineup um and then just to have the opportunity to see it and to hear people react uh where they laughed and and uh you know, and, and that kind of thing, and, and uh, particularly what they just audibly reacted to is is always great. I would I would was sitting in the back, um, but I so, you know I, what I'd love to do is just sit on stage and watch people watch the film, but that's just a little too weird I think. <laughs> but but it would but but so I didn't get to see their faces as they watched it, but but uh, but at least we got to sort of hear hear people respond, and it's always it's always neat to to experience that.
2: Did you see any difference between a Japanese audience and a American or non-Japanese audience in terms of reactions?
4: Well, we haven't seen it with a, with a Japanese audience yet, uh, believe it or not, because we kept we were almost ready to, and then Japan sort of went through these waves where just when it seemed like things were okay and we'd be thinking about having a at least a friends and family screening at a, fest, at a theater that we found, um, things would kind of shut down again. And that happened through all of last year up until <laughs> right before we left for New York. So, So things are actually kind of at a point where we probably could, you know, without being irresponsible, you know, convene a, a large group of people for a screening. And we just sort of didn't want to wanna to do that. So 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 we're still looking forward to that. You know, we we, we don't know what the what the Japanese response will be.
2: I think maybe it shouldn't because Byzante is gonna be bombed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. So, so oh but my only concern about Pizante is that after the film, it must be a kind of destination, although many people cannot go to Japan freely due to the pandemic. But how is uh, Bicente doing? Is any more people coming? And uh, it's already busier than-
4: My sense- I mean my sense is that it's it's uh it's kind of business as usual uh the people who know about it know but I don't know that our film is 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 has had enough exposure to really influence the japanese uh you know um customer base um there but uh but I would I I do think that maybe one fringe benefit of having made the film is that it's making him at least, not that he was thinking about closing, but now he definitely wants to wait until he has a chance to meet some some you know some foreign people who have seen the film. I think he he's really looking forward to 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 that possibility and hope and he he loves meeting people from from all different cultures and you know all over the world. And so, I think the idea of of a bunch of people who coming just because they saw the film would would be exciting to him and, and thrilling to him. You know, so. Um, so I think he's he's uh, eagerly awaiting them, but I I think it'll be a little bit longer. Maybe hopefully 2022 there'll be some maybe so opening up a little bit for for tourism again. And if that's right. the case, uh, mm. I think he'll be waiting.
2: Yeah. So so then uh, where can our listeners watch the film? Come back anytime, and eventually go visit Visente sometime next year.
4: So we don't have um, well. So your listeners uh, in the US. Um, uh, we, we will, uh, have more distribution in the U S it was just briefly available through doc NYC online throughout the U S, but just for that window of the festival. So, so we're working on uh, finding, you know, other, other distribution possibilities, uh, including the possibility of a, of a small theatrical release. So I think, um, uh, the best, way, I mean, if you have listeners in, in Australia, uh, that it is in theaters, um, uh, there coming uh, early next year, and, uh, and also in Taiwan, um, it's 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 opening in theaters in Taiwan and on uh, December 24th, um, and then um, but but as far as the U.S. and North America, we're still working on that. So the best thing if you you know people who, who are intrigued and might want to see the film would be to go to our our website, uh, comebackanytime.com. And uh, and join the mailing list. It's a it's I like to call it a non-spammy mailing list. We use it very <laughs> sparingly. We won't uh, bombard you with uh, with ramen trivia, but but uh, we you know we use it to let people know. We ask them to give give us their their country and zip code just so that we can kind of target. Say hey, you know it's available now in the U.S. In case you want to see it, so that's the best way to uh, to find out about it.
2: Yeah, we have listeners, surprisingly, in 190 countries worldwide. Wow, so, yeah, hopefully, um, everybody can go check uh, comebackanytime.com and then sign up for the newsletter and get updated. And I think really a lot of people, everybody should watch it. And I watched it right before I went to bed. I had a good dream, like very relaxing, happy dream. <laughs>
4: So. Oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> yeah.
2: So uh, it's my final question. So what are your plans and dreams?
4: Well, I would, in the short term, I I, I would like as many people as possible to see this film, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, we both, I think, would like that. And then uh, for me, uh, it's uh, to make, just keep making more films. Uh, probably, you know, ideally in Japan. Uh, I have made fiction films before, so the idea of making a fiction film is, 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 is is daunting, but, but maybe is, is it would be a good challenge. Although there are many other uh, aspects of Japanese culture that I personally would love to, to explore and also try to, uh, give my, my perspective as a, as an an outsider who's inside, uh, Japan, uh, sort of to the rest of the world of, of just a slightly maybe different perspective than, than what a lot of mainstream, you know, um, they're experiencing in 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 other other media forms uh so that's that's my goal
3: We'll how, how about you um yeah uh so the master already has asked me to be uh to be at his restaurant bizente when uh all, all foreigners uh come uh, after uh watching our documentary come back anytime because he won't he 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 designated me as his um, a helper, but also as an interpreter over there, <laughs> so that um, he doesn't have to worry uh, communicating uh, uh, with uh, foreign visitors. But uh, I just think, um, you know. With him, I, I don't think any, any English or foreign language speaking is uh, necessary. He can just sort of communicate by heart and then with anybody. So I think uh, any, uh, who, you know, he doesn't speak English, but uh, and whoever wants to visit Byzantine, but worry about not uh, being able to communicate in Japanese, there's no worry. Uh, somehow your experience will be really good and, um, and then the regulars or whoever happened to be there uh, be helpful and it's going to be a, a, a once in a lifetime experience. So I, when I'm available, yeah, uh, obviously I want to be there and then to experience and help uh, for him as much as possible. So I guess that's my um, plans and dream.
4: Right. And my other, my I'll, I'll add. My other goal is to is to rope him into producing another one for me, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> he's, he's on the fence about. But I'm hoping that I can get him to produce yet another right. one. <laughs> okay,
2: <laughs> well, I look forward to that. So. But, but don't tell me that because I would spend it as, as any minute, more minute as possible with him. He's just an amazing <laughs> person. right? Yep. So, yeah. and uh, So thank you so much for joining us today, John Wataru. So good luck. And uh, keep me posted. I mean, I'm hoping you guys going to create a sequel. So <laughs> <laughs> thank, you. Yeah.
3: thank you. Thank, thank you for me.
4: having us. And, and I'm so glad to hear you enjoy the
3: film. It's really, it's great speaking with you about it. Thank you. You are really easy to talk to. So um, we really... (laughs) Because you guys
2: are easy to talk
3: to. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And then uh, let's come. I mean, uh, when you come to 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 Tokyo, just let us know. Absolutely. we'll, We'll take you there.
2: Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, that's going to be my top of my list. So I can't wait to go to Japan. Great. So thank you. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanneeds at network.org or dot Japan Needs is a weekly program and always available at org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. An engineer is Anand Uninsp- Spenchen. And we'll take a winter break for the next few weeks. So we'll see you in the new year. Um, Have a wonderful rest of 2021 and happy new year. Japanese is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community?